welcome to another episode of Over Drinkers, the Story Screen Presents podcast where I, Mike Burgett, me, I'm the only one that hosts this podcast, sits down with a friend and a drink. We talk about a movie. And boy, oh boy, if you've clicked on this one to listen to it, you already know what the movie is. And congratulations, you are a psychopath just like us. Um, today we're talking about Clifford. Uh, the Yes, that Clifford. No, not not the big red dog Clifford. We're talking about Clifford Clifford, starring Teen Heartthrob, Martin Short, and uh, the late, great Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin. And uh, Mary Steenberg, you know, it's a it's a it's a decked out cast. Uh, it's fantastic. It is um, really not of note as far as, uh, you know, the director, Paul Flaherty, uh, you know, he's uh, worked on a couple things here and there. Um, nothing too intense. You know, a movie came out in 94. It's rated PG, surprisingly, uh, because it's an absolute. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wreck. It's, uh, and, and it's a great movie. And I am joined today by returning guests from, I think the last Overdrinkers, because we've had to move some schedules around and stuff like that. So, uh, in the last Overdrinkers, we covered Master of the Universe with, uh, Yarko Dobriansky. Yep. And, uh, here he is. Uh, that's me. I'm Yarko. I'm, I'm glad to be asked to come back. I didn't realize it was that soon after Master of the Universe. It's, I mean, that was about like a little over a month ago now, wow. but we had a, a Heather's episode lined up, oh, but the guests for that had to reschedule because they're off uh, producing and writing plays in Illinois right now. So, you know, fuck them. So and all uh, you Heather's fans, yeah. uh, this is basically the same thing. Basically, kind of. <laughs> Clifford is like the Heather's of the 90s. Um... And uh, we're going to talk about Clifford. Uh, we do spoilers right up front and stuff like that. So if you haven't seen Clifford, don't worry. There's not a whole lot to spoil. Maybe a little bit. But, uh, you know, Clifford is a bit of uh, a hot topic right now in the podcast stratosphere. Uh, for those of our listeners that also listen to the uh, aggressively popular and very good podcast, Blank Check, you know that uh, David Sims and Griffin Newman over there, uh, along with uh, Ben Hosley, have been discussing Clifford now for a few years. And they recently... Recently, uh, after we had planned this, uh, we had always talked about doing Clifford. Mm -hmm. Recently, they did a follow-up episode where they dug a little bit more deeper into Clifford. I, I will attempt to refrain. Uh, I have very different opinions than they do on the show. Um, but I also have some similarities, so I will try not to mix those around. I don't want it to feel as if we're kind of ribbing off those guys. Complete coincidence. This is a favorite movie of mine growing up. As mine. Uh, as yours. Yeah, this is what got us talking. Yeah. Clifford was originally what we were going to do, and then it kind of made sense to do Master of the Universe because the new show was coming out, and right. it was just a little bit more exciting to do because uh, I hadn't seen it in so long. I had seen the, I had seen Clifford uh, as, as recently as like two years ago. Uh, I love watching this goddamn movie. I own it on VHS. It's fantastic. I love watching it. Um, but before we get ahead of ourselves and really break into the conversation, as always on Overdrinkers, we are partaking of a themed beverage, yes. uh, a cocktail this time of my own design. It is a play on a Tokyo tea or Long Island iced tea, um, and it is called a Larry the Scary Rex. Rex spelt as if you wrecked your car or something like that, which if you drink too much of these and then drive... You probably will do, uh, so don't do that. Big do not drink and drive uh, on this thing. I know the whole show is about sipping back some stuff and having a good time, but, uh, you know, protect yourself and protect others. Uh, so this bad boy, again, play along on iced tea. It's got tequila, gin, 
uh, white rum. It's got vodka. It's got Cointreau. Uh, it's got simple syrup, lemon juice, and uh, we'll put the recipe down uh, below in the uh, description uh, for this episode. Uh, the main ingredient in this one that is very easy to find but not typical in most bars plutonium. is uh, Midori. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> plutonium. Like, get your hands on it. Uh, Midori melon liqueur. It's a Japanese liqueur made from Japanese melons. Take from that what you will. Uh, not very typical, but a really good thing for any bartender that's got like their own thing uh, and they like making a bunch of crazy fun stuff because it's really just like your go to green flavor. You put half an ounce of this stuff in anything, it's going to turn it green. And it tastes green. And it tastes great. So cheers to you, my buddy. Cheers. Delicious. Mm. I'm pretty proud of this one. This one's pretty tasty. Yeah. I feel like Clifford would actually drink this. Most likely, yeah. yeah. I mean, we miss the Clifford ages. You know, um, where it'd be very interesting to see, you know, him as like a, in his 20s. Yeah. You know, just really kind of getting up Young to adult. shit. Um, but yeah, uh, let's start off with the basics, man. Like, so this was your idea. You pitched it. I was all for it because yeah. of things that I've already said before. Give me a little brief history of like uh, your relationship with Clifford and like your just general upfront thoughts on it. Let's. Uh, my relationship with Clifford uh, comes from my fandom obsession with martin short i love his style of comedy great it started with um you know three amigos uh father of the bride one and two um i found about i found out about clifford because back in the day when we watched uh television broadcast they would have these things called the tv guides and i saw his name under clifford i was like all right i have to watch that loved it Lo- laughed my ass off. How old were you, would you say? Um, I'd say probably like 10, 11. They're like around Clifford's age. I mean, around like Clifford's same age, for, yeah. Same with me. Like yeah. I probably, honestly, no. Like if this came out in 93, I had to have caught it 94. at least. 94, sorry. I had to at least have caught it by 96 when I was 10 years old. I must have. I must have. Right. Wait a second. So I would have been slightly older. Okay. I was, I was born in 82. Okay. So 12. 13. Still. Still. In the line. In the line. Yes. You looked more like Martin Short. You looked more <laughs> looked like Clifford more than like, like a real 10-year-old right. boy. Right. Um, this this movie, uh, had a, this was by MGM, Orion Pictures, and a different entertainment company called uh, Mora Bresner and Steinberg Entertainment Inc. Fun. Um, which just started out a year before they started shooting this movie. So this is one of their – Clifford is one of their first movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this was – Clifford was supposed to be – it was slated to be released in 91. But then Orion Pictures had oh. some financial issues. Oh, Orion had financial <laughs> issues in the early 90s, you say? Yes. They're starting to come back. Yeah. They're starting to pop back yeah. uh, up at the front. I got to – there's nothing better than that Orion I love opening that fanfare. Love it. And the opening fanfare in this goddamn thing, man, the music, the main Clifford theme <laughs> is one of my – Top 10 easy uh, themes to a movie. It is yeah. equal parts catchy and psychotic. Totally like, it's psychotic. kind of scary how <laughs> overproduced and scary it starts to get as it keeps, because it starts off very innocent. Uh, and then it's just like, it goes crazy. And that's the theme of the movie, right? It starts off, you know, very innocent. With with non-innocent Clifford, right? You see the real version of him for the first 
the opening, right? And the then, futures. Yes. 2050. 2050. 2050. So I tried to calculate this. What, you would guesstimate he's an older priest at around 70? 80? Maybe, uh, maybe 80? Uh, it'd be around like... Wait, 75? 57, 67. Yeah, he'd be like 67, 66-ish if he's 10 in 1994. Or are we going by 1991 but, but, standards? But wait, like so when it was, was shot. The, no, the movie was supposed to be released. So it takes place in 1991. Does it? Okay. I mean, if they shot it in 1991, if you want to go by like the reality of things. You yeah. Know? It's, the, it's the classic Donnie's fake from the Big Lebowski, like Donnie's imaginary. Right. Technically, they're all imaginary. <laughs> the Coen brothers thought them up. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> But, yes, I, I digress with that one. Yeah. So we, we get a glimpse of the future, and he touches those fancy keypads that open the gate to the uh, wayward home of... Uh... I think it's called Waywardville. <laughs> it's called Waywardville. <laughs> Waywardville. Which is very good, and I'd never caught or- that before. Well, it, wasn't, it wasn't an orph- was it an orphanage? No, because there were... Hey, it's a school for wayward boys. Yeah, yeah, for wayward boys, yes. Yeah, yes. but like be- this is one of the things... Uh, this is, I think, one of the first times I've watched this... In better quality than like on TV or VHS, right? That you because it's on HBO Max right now. Yeah. God bless their souls. Thank God. Um, and you can just see it so crisp, and it kind of made it more disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> like the, it, it shouldn't be this clean and this pristine to be able to see. Yeah. Uh, and it actually made a lot of the scenes in it that I'm sure that we will get to much more disturbing. There's some scenes in this that are played for, I guess, laughs. That are outright like, why is this in this movie? Which again begs the argument of the PG thirteen rating. Like, are you talking about like the slapstick, or are you? I'm talking about some of the uh, like the sexual antics in oh, this yeah. movie. Like there are, there's, there's the the movie the the main problem of this movie, <laughs> and you know, and you can continue talking about like your your affinity with it and stuff like that. The main issue with this movie and why it's kind of divisive with a lot of people is that it is. There, it wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants you to to buy into the idea that Martin Short is a ten year old boy, right? But then it also so it does these like sexual things that you're like, oh, it's funny that a ten year old is doing that. But it becomes weirder when you know that Martin Short is not a ten year old, which you can obviously tell, and you're just it, it starts creating this like. This very icky feeling that, like, I can get by because, like, I'm into stuff like trauma pictures and, like, stuff like the Safdie brothers, like, good time and uncut gems. Like, I'm into, like, movies making me feel a really odd way and different on purpose so that the movie hits differently. Maybe not better, maybe not worse, but just different. Right. That the vibe is kind of set. And I don't know if the movie did this intentionally, but that doesn't matter to me, especially now that it's been almost 30 years. Well, I think they did do it intentionally because I think this was... Literally a shot for Martin Short to do his brand of humor, which if you are a fan of SCTV, it's exactly what he was known for. Yeah. This was like, they were trying to brand him as this like good hearted comedian that has awkwardness. But in reality, SCTV, you go back there and he's he's a little awkward. It's it's funny, but at the same time, you're a little disturbed. <laughs> it's, it, it's his brand of humor. And this was his shot to be the leading actor. Yeah, one of uh, one of like his only, right? Yeah, like uh, they mentioned this on like uh, the uh, the blank check episode um, about Clifford. Uh, I think both times um, that it is it really is like the the only Martin Short like led 
and even that's a little iffy because Charles Grodin is very much at the forefront and that is, of this that movie, is but it is like Martin Short is Clifford, as they say. Like right. it's, and it is one of the only ones because like he's really a two-hander and a lot of other stuff like inner space and, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much anything else that you can think of. And then pretty much he, his main role as like a comedian in like heavy main fair comedies and film is as like a supporting character if right. not just like a, a kind of like an overglorified cameo yeah you know like father of the bride and stuff like that where right. they're just like well you got to get him in the second one and more of that guy like that kind of thing yeah yeah no i mean uh this was this was definitely him in his in his epic glory of his comedy and and even part of that is you you know he was supposed to be the lead but i i did feel like as if he played the role supporting Charles Grodin. Yeah. Because Charles Grodin was just so dynamic in it. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he was in his prime, I would say. I mean, this is kind of the end of like kind of this the is Grodin like the era. peak. You could call it the peak yeah. where it's just like he kind of hits this thing. And then right after this, it's pretty much like Beethoven. Well, Beethoven was bef- before this release, but he shot it after. Exactly. So Beethoven yeah, was yeah. 92 yep. and Beethoven 3 was 93. Yeah. So they're Back just like they're just like kind of hitting it and hitting it. Uh-huh. And he's kind of gotten into that kind of like grumpo dad kind of like, you know, phase of his <laughs> career you know where he's kind of like doing the younger version of what Mal- of like what walter Matthau was doing in the 90s where right. he's just like well i guess now i'm just a grumpy old man and a grumpier old man and i'm dennis the menace's neighbor and <laughs> fuck you i'm walter matt like he's he's kind of like his his perverse um antithesis to what the movie is trying to do which seems to be charles groden's like that's when he's really like in the zone in yeah. the movie is when he's he's the main character or like the secondary lead that is aggressively trying to stop what the the very pitch of the movie is like midnight run like his whole thing is like i don't want to do this i don't want (laughs) to be here which his character should be right but But like one of the genius things about that movie too is also robert de niro's character does not want to be in this movie either right that's what makes the movie so funny is and that's why i think it stands midnight run stands above so many other kind of like buddy movies whether they be buddy cop or you know something along those lines like you know bulletproof and you know cop and criminal like form a bond kind of thing right um and in this one he really is like you get to see like clifford infect him like with insanity because he's already like unhinged which i think just runs in the family given what we see from him his brother his brother what we hear about his dad which yeah. is like fucked up we're not given any reasoning why his dad never took them to this place that apparently was right there uh and then also clifford like the genes of this family are just like cursed yeah much like the movie <laughs> it's a cursed fucking movie it it's is like it you isn't. start watching it and you're just like oh boy yeah this thing and then it like lulls you it like you're talking about into like this this kind of safe space where you're like Oh, right. It's him talking weird to adults and his parents can't stand him. And his pet dinosaur. And his pet dinosaur. And then all of a sudden, like, he's got that line right at the beginning where he's like, uh-oh, looks like daddy's going to have another stroke. And then he'll be talking. He starts doing that and you're like, oh, my fucking God. And you see, and the, the dad's reaction is just like, he can't even, like, sustain himself. He's yeah. just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's all of us have reacted like that to something that we cannot control right. and we're not allowed to hurt 
You know, like when a computer is fucking with you and it won't stop and you're just like, God damn it. And you like give it a slam. You feel bad because you know it's not going to do anything. You might break it. You hurt your hand. But at the end of the day, you can't get in trouble for right for smacking a computer around because it's not <laughs> doing what it's told. You're not allowed to do that with children, especially a 10-year-old. Correct. You can knock a 2-year-old around. Like, who are they going to tell? They're going to forget. <laughs> it's going to be fine. I don't condone that, but, like, you could probably get away with that oh easier. Oh, my God. They can't tell anybody. That's why I have pets. Um, I do not oh hurt my, my pets. God. I'm making a joke. It's a psychotic <laughs> episode. Um but I think, it, it, like, in that moment, you start to realize how crazy he is, and then it, they just, like, bring it on up with the, the cockpit scene. Yeah. Yes. Which yeah. is amazing. It's amazing. And, and I, I, think, I think I figured out how they made Martin Short look shorter with the captain sitting. I think the way he moves forward, he only takes two steps. Yeah. But I think it's, he's on his knees. Because you yeah. see his side. I think he's doing a lot of knee work in yeah. this. People are standing on boxes. Mm-hmm. There's doubles used, like when he's kind of full frame, where you don't see his. You know, right. his Martin Short is short, he's short, but he's not. He's not that short. He's not ten year old short to like yeah. really sell it sometimes. Right. But that's the other thing that's super creepy because the fucking scenes where it's just like <laughs> some weird person from behind with like red hair and he's like not turning and you're like, but that's the star of the movie and he's just like kind of walking. You're like, this is kind of creepy. Yeah. It's a creepy fucking movie, man. <laughs> it's like it's close to a horror movie. It is close, especially to the ending. The yeah. ending's oh like my God. horrifying. It was traumatic to me as a kid. Right. Well, before we we'll see, get there, before we get to the end, Richard Kind plays his dad. Yes. And I never got the sense that he was ever gonna actually hurt or want to hurt him. No. He he did portray a frustrated father to the T, yeah. where you could still tell that he loved his son. Even though he wanted to get rid of him. In a way, yeah. In a way. <laughs> I then, do love their the mom and dad. And they're just like, when they get the idea. Yeah. Like, when he's like, what if I went with Uncle Martin? <laughs> and they would get the idea. And then, like, when he's like, he fell for it. <laughs> he fell, oh, my God. He seemed practically excited. Like, that kind of thing. And they're just like, they get this reprieve. Um, you know, one of my big things about the movie that I don't like is how there's really no... Um, there's no ending to anyone's arc even Clifford who does have an arc and he does reach a pinnacle of an arc and you do kind of get a moment with that he's the closest one but you really don't see like what is Martin and Sarah's life like after this you just get a brief little glimpse with a wedding um, but mainly you don't see the parents like, I l- would love to have seen right. the parents, like, all tanned, super happy. The wife is sober. The the, the guy, the, the, the dad is just, like, super chill and laid back just from a couple days away from this, like, demon. Yeah. Or even his, his, I mean, he turns at the end. He becomes good. Through traumatic events. Right. Like, he says it's because he, like, he's like, my uncle didn't love me. And I realized how much I cared about that. And I'm like, no, yeah, but he I'm pretty sure that, yeah, you just got the shit scared out of you for like 10 minutes straight because it's horrifying. Right. And you actually are scared that that like he is going and I go, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but yeah. you actually are scared that Uncle Martin might let him die. Like that's the right. end of this movie. Right. Like, yeah, I well, don't when think he that says, they would have ever done that. Save me. Yeah. And there's that silent. Yeah. Look from Charles Grodin. I'm thinking it over. Yeah. <laughs> With the smoke and the black backdrop behind it. It really is like that's he. I love Martin Short's performance throughout this thing, but it really is Charles Grodin's. Um, like how much like it turns into his baby. How, yeah, movie. like how much like um, 
I don't want to say relative because that's kind of using the right word in a situation where it could get mistook for something else, but like how, how easy it is to relate to his frustrations. Right. Uh, he's a guy who's putting his job a little bit more uh, yeah. in front of his relationship. We've all been there. Yep. And he's just a dude that really is had got a lot of stuff against him, but he's trying to keep an open mind, trying to be as optimistic as he can. He's a little bit of a grump. There's something in there that's a little, you know, Joker-y, where he's right. just like, you know, if he gets pushed too far, who knows where he can go. And instead of like, instead of a movie where it's just like slowly little tiny events that Clifford's doing build up to this thing, it's almost right away. Mm-hmm whoa, what the fuck is this kid doing? And no one will believe him, which is like why it's like a horror movie where you're like, there's pe- there's a man killing everybody out there and they're like, oh, uh, Martin, calm down. It's okay. <laughs> um, well, it, it's interesting to see their relationship does have an arc. If anything yes. has an, a full arc, it's their relationship, right? His introduction to him is at the airport, picking him up as this sort of sweet, innocent boy sleeping... But we, we see Clifford sees him coming, so he pretends. We know he's pretending to sleep. And then... Um, With the music that's equally charming <laughs> and chilling. Right. Like the children's choir. <laughs> you know, they, they we're not the first one. Roger Ebert has an amazing review of this thing where he's just Amazing like, review. If it wasn't for the attempt at comedy in this, which Roger Ebert does not like this movie, and I disagree. I, I think, he, I think well. he's being a little stick in the mud yeah. with that, yeah. um, which he's known to be. Uh, if it wasn't for all the attempted comedy, in his words, at this, this would be The Omen. <laughs> like, it literally is The Omen, but what if it was a comedy? Right. He, I mean, he had a lot of choice words against this movie. He did. And I, I actually have the review right here because there was one thing that I definitely wanted to make sure that I brought up because it is... <laughs> It is one of the funniest fucking things I think I've ever heard Roger Ebert say. First off, he refers to Dinosaur World as Dinosaur Park. <clears throat> um, Failed. Uh, he says that uh, he calls it profoundly unfunny, irredeemably not funny, so that it doesn't matter what the actors do because they are in a movie that should never have been. <laughs> Oof. That to me says, I want to see this movie. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's... That may have started off why people have made this a cult following, but then they fell in love with this dark humor. I, 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 it's a dark humor comedy. It is, but I think it's pastelled in a way, especially with the the addition of the future sections, which mm-hmm. the, 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 the bookends of those, that was in the reshoots, like for the release in 94. That was oh, never supposed that. to be... That wasn't supposed to be the narrative of, like, what it was. I think it was just supposed to you, – you just go on in. You're introduced to Clifford. You don't have all these things. And that was a way to just kind of bookend it and give it kind of, like, a structure. Right. And just kind of give it, like, a narrative kind of thing to be able to fill in the gaps. Um, but it's the – the <laughs> it's just, like, the way it looks and feels if you're not clocked in – from the beginning outside knowing it's a dark comedy there are no tells there's not a lot of like unrealistic stuff like all of this stuff is not really heightened it's heightened a little tiny bit but you're like yeah a kid could do that with a voicemail and some recording and stuff sure and he could dump tabasco sauce in a glass like 
none of it really gets heightened up until the point of like the you know the party at the house and stuff but that's also all just like 80s leftover right. bullshit where it's like anything can happen you're just like yeah yeah and another thing they point out on blank check too is just like one and this is the thing that i always thought about especially as a kid because i was annoyed by it. i was like why doesn't he just like go to dinosaur, dinosaur world, world. Because he yeah. has the means. He can do all of these things. Get the kids to take him now. Call Why? a taxi and go. Or, Martin, have Sarah take him to Dinosaur World. You're right. too busy. Get him out of the house. Right. But you can't do that because then you don't have a movie. You can't do that because you don't have a movie. And I think they did that on purpose as one of the things that Clifford just wasn't allowed to do, to go out on his own. He always needed somebody. Okay. Um, I'm into that. Up until the whole train scene where he's being traced uh, followed by mm-hmm. Charles Grodin right because he's saying he's running away yeah yeah and he's got that great picture that great Polaroid picture that, <laughs> on the milk carton that Charles Grodin is like drawing on and acting like a psychopath <laughs> when he's he hasn't completely snapped just yet you think like that's the you think that he's snapped multiple times you're like that's it he's done with this kid like the whole scene at the table with the dinosaur like put the dinosaur over there no 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 look at me like a human boy like all of this stuff where he's like trying to get him and anchor him down and he goes all the way to San Francisco and he comes back and he's like oh I'm gonna fucking kill this kid he locks him in the room you're like that's as crazy as it can get and then he like then he goes crazier he goes crazier because he actively does try to murder this kid the kid is out of his sight hyperdrive I wouldn't say that he he's can't trying to see him. him I don't I think he's trying to I think he's trying him. to kill him <laughs> because he's given it up because he does say like they're going to give me life. Right. Because he's like I'm going to murder I didn't kidnap you and threaten your life. Right. You're going to die today and I'm going to get life <laughs> and I'm totally okay with that. Oh god. That the, uh, Charles Grodin's uh character goes from I I wouldn't even say trusting, but he goes from okay, I need this kid to I can impress use, my girlfriend. I can, I can exactly. Can use he's him. He's using him up front. And he Clifford seems, kind of buys into, sees that kind of right He seems like a normal kid, yeah. right? And then he, in, throughout the, the movie, this is why I think this might be Charles Grodin's best picture. He mimics, not Clifford, but he mimics Martin Short's acting of Clifford by repeating some of his lines in Clifford's voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Just brilliant. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. It like, and it's something that you could never get away with with actually having a ten-year-old play this part. No. Like, first off, you need Clifford himself to emote and be comedic in a way that most ten-year-olds, even if you hire like a fourteen-year-old and tried to age them down a bit, yeah. probably don't have like the capability and accesses to, uh, or the experience to be able to kind of pull off of and make it funny. But the fact, that, and so that allows for Charles Grodin to like really manhandle. Physically and verbally, <laughs> this this kid, yes, and it leads to some of the funniest parts. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, you know. Again, if you are not sold on um, there is a darkness, there is an inherent darkness to this that you must have locked in to enjoy it fully. Yeah, and also you need to understand, you need to buy that this is a ten year old. I right. know that it's, and that's why it's hard because it's Martin Short. He's a superstar at this point. When it came out, and maybe even today, maybe not so much today because Martin Short isn't as shining of a star like in like the populace. Well, he's also aged now. Like back yeah. then, he yeah. he did look, he had smooth face. He right. looked, but I'm like saying like most people, uh, many people probably don't know who Martin Short is. 
just like the regular folk. Right. Because like it's really been like a good like 15 years since he really did anything where he wasn't in a gigantic fat suit or anything like that of note. And so people could watch it now and they'd be like, well, I know that that's a grown adult. Right. And I've heard the name Martin Short. But, like, it might be a little bit easier now for them to come into it, which is why I think that there's kind of, like, this reclamation of Clifford these days where yes. people are like, this fucking movie from, like, 30 years ago is, is twisted, <laughs> is fucking nuts. And I think it's, like, that's one of the things that you really need to key in on is to try and just believe that the character is 10. And I think that some people, I don't, and I don't think that you do either. I think it's a hard thing for some people to grasp. Because that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. It's right. like Charles Grodin is saying these things and doing these things to a 10-year-old. To a 10-year-old. And that's darkly funny. Yes. And he can get away with doing it because it's actually Martin Short who is an adult and can do all of these things and, yeah. and cannot get hurt uh, emotionally or physically. Right. Like when he's like grabbing his neck and smacking him into the cereal bowl. It's great. I love it. Okay. <laughs> um, that scene, first, first of all, I will always consider Martin Short. Super famous. Um, so if you're listening, Miss, Mr. Short, that's me, Yarko Doriansky. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, that scene where they are at the table and he is verbally scolding Clifford is probably the funniest scene in that whole movie. Yeah. And that movie would be nothing without that scene. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to count the different faces that Clifford does. And you're talking about the the look at me like a human boy. Yes. Like when he's like trying to get him to write the confession letter and something. You're like, that's great. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I tried to try to. he tries to reason with like this chaotic force. That just won't sit. He can't do he it. Can't. He can't. stop. And like the, he, he like breaks through to him just for a moment. Right. And sits down and starts talking to him. And he's like, oh my God, he's got him in the palm of his hands. He's doing it. And then he just like sees like he's like rested the dinosaur like on his hand. <laughs> like he can't stop for just a fucking second. And, and Charles Gruden just keeps like. He brings himself oh down God. to a five from a ten, and he just keeps going back up to a ten. He's like, "Fucking stop!" It's great. It get it, like you're talking about. It gets yeah. that frustration it does. of having to deal with like young kids who just are like the way this the way Martin Short like eats in this movie like he's <laughs> just ingesting fuel, sugar, sugar, pure constantly sugar. at all times, gleefully and methodically. He's got that insanely scary line. Where he says, like, I don't sleep as much as one might assume. Right. Like, that is so fucking scary. <laughs> I mean, he has a couple of lines. Yeah, he's got, um, when we get frustrated, we can come, we can create a lot of damage. Yes. Or, or um, you wouldn't lie to me, Uncle Martin, would you? Like, yeah. Like in this sinister, like Chucky-esque because voice. I, I just don't know what I would do. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and Grodin, like, he, he doesn't care. Like, no, no, but he catches on to it. He's like, right. that sounds like a threat. Right. I don't like being threatened. <laughs> like, he kind of calls him out on it uh, because he underestimates. Like, that's a line at the end of the movie. It's yeah. just like he keeps, he's, he's constantly underestimating how fucking tactical and, and and malicious Maniacal. this kid can be. This yeah. kid can, like, do anything. Like, he's got that great line, too. He's like, how did he get out? Like, when, when he's, like, trying to find his computer piece. Oh, and that's the other great actor in this. Um, uh, Dabney Coleman. Right? He was uh, 9 to 5. Mm -hmm. he, had a, he had a big little spurt of career. 
that he was super famous. I mean, he had a long career, but his fame really happened in the early 80s, right? Mm-hmm. It was 9 to 5, Cloak and Dagger, War Games, Tootsie. All within, Tootsie. All within like a five-year span. Mm-hmm. And they brought him back for this for 90, 91. And he does, he does a great job as this sleazy boss with a toupee. He's fantastic. And that's one of the scenes I was referring to. The scene in the limo where yeah. he essentially assaults her right. twice uh, is wild. Twice. And with the second time preempting the assault, he does this like... No means yes voice, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. But he does this like... He mimics or he mocks her voice of like, you're trying to do this, you know... High school girl. Yeah, high school virgin. Thing. High school virgin. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a creep show. It's so good. It's wild that. shit. Like, I always forget that. The, I know that there is a, a turning point where um, Sarah's character is like, fuck this guy all on her own. Right. She doesn't require the, you know, the efforts of Clifford or Martin to kind of show her, yeah. like, to, 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 ri- to raise the veil of this guy. Which I like and is kind of ahead of its time, like back in like the early sure. 90s or something like that. Like she's able to track, like she's been tracking the whole time. Her conversation earlier with Martin, like that guy's a creep, that guy's a creep. Right. And she's just like, oh, I mean, this is my boss. He's being nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's giving me a necklace. The company I deal with this necklace, shit all right? the fucking time. Right. Fuck it. Like, all right, I'll, pl- I'll, I will be nice. I will be courteous. This is professional until he makes it not. And as soon as he makes it not, she's like, absolutely fucking not, dude. Right. And she plays it with like, like, um, like bravery. She's not afraid to like fuck his shit up. She, she laughs in him. his face. She hits him, laughs in his. Oh, that's yeah. the best when she just laughs in his face. Pulls she tosses the it off. out, tosses it out the window, and then he shows up with a Willie Nelson wig. <laughs> it's good shit. It's good it's great. bits. Like, look, me and you. She was. A, she played a woman of her time. She yes. That that scene in the limo. She reveals that she knew the whole time that this is a sleaze bag, and he's definitely yeah. hitting on her. The company didn't buy the her and the necklace. He did, yes. and she's aware of all of yeah. this, and that's revealed in that scene. Like right. she's not being like, you know, th- this isn't like a Baxter situation where like she's like gonna leave Martin for this guy. That's not in the cards. Like right. she might leave Martin for other reasons, and she does because she wants but to it's kill. not for this guy, right? You know, and you and I, you know, this is a audio. Uh, format here that we're talking in. Correct. You and I, not the most full-headed hair of gentlemen. No. Uh, you got some, <laughs> That's why I started shaving. You my got head. some shave up there, and you know I'm, uh, you know I'm, I'm barely hanging on over here. You know, so uh, I like bald jokes in movies. Love I it. think they're really fucking Love funny it. because I like people who, and me and you are kind of like two sides of the same coin, where it's like you're like. I don't want to word it like this. Don't take offense. Like, I'm giving up. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm shaving. I'm fucking doing it. And then you got people like me, which I don't mean this towards myself either, where it's like, I'm hanging on as long as I can. <laughs> I've got to have hair. I like how goofball shit crazy my hair looks when it grows out a little bit. You see me the past couple months. Right. I've been crewing it a lot. Yes. I've been bringing it down and stuff. I'm like, it's over. It's all over. But every now and then I'm like, you know, I still got a little bit of party up there. Well, you know what? Bring you, it out a your, bit. your hairline allows you to go... To keep going. Yeah, because I've got like the Jack Nicholson, right. Michael Keaton kind the of thing. pointed on the sides. Yeah. It keeps going back. Yeah, I've got the eyebrows. I can really do like a good right. like Nicholson kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about last night, completely off topic. Uh, I don't think that I've ever noticed or ever heard anybody talk about how crazy it is, how similar Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson look to each other in Batman. Batman. Like before he becomes the Joker. Yeah. Because Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson kind of have the same 
like face going on. They've got like the pointy uh-huh. big eyebrows and the perched little lips and the receding hairline the and the intense eyes. and the crazy eyes and the intense yeah. attitude. Yeah. And one of the most interesting things about Batman, having just rewatched it because we showed it at the drive-in, mm-hmm. um, is like again, it brings up this thing of like, you know, Tim Burton has talked about how he wanted it to be like this battle of artists. Where, like, the Joker is, like, he becomes an artist when he goes crazy. He's like, I want to expand my art and give my art out there. And how Batman is kind of like a performer artist in that way. Like, he's very performative. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why he wanted to cast somebody that looks like Michael Keaton on the outside to be Batman. Right. It's because... I've never, have heard, you ever, that. Have I've you never ever, heard that take. Have you ever seen the, the, the Tiny Toons? Yes. Uh, thing with Batman where it's like Batman's super muscular and big and he like unzips and it's like a caricature of Michael Keaton. <laughs> just like this like blob of like a big foreheaded man. Yeah. And like, um, what's his name? What's Daffy Duck's nephew's name? Plucky Duck. Plucky Duck. Plucky Duck. Yeah. Uh, Plucky Duck's like, you know, does like the jaw drop thing. Like, right. <laughs> it is that kind of fun thing. And I, I never noticed. I've heard that take before for a while, but I never noticed that. It's like, you know, they actually kind of look... Exactly, exactly alike. Like when Jack Nicholson's character Jack is Jack yeah. Napier before he becomes Joker. And I've seen Keaton in interviews yeah. do an impression of Nicholson. Yeah, I bet you could do a fucking And he great nails one. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited for my Keaton to play Batman again. Oh, did you see that he, he already put on the suit? He's been putting on the suit. And he said it felt like said, I just did it yesterday. He said it felt great, which I'm very happy about. Unbelievable. You know, and uh, would also be a thing that someone would make up, but I believe him. I believe him. I believe him. I don't think he's He's, he's going through that. a big Michael Keaton sidestep right now in our Clifford episode. <laughs> he's going through a big resurgence right now. Yeah. Like, I get that it was like Birdman spotlight and all this stuff, but it's like, I'm on YouTube. And YouTube's like, yo, here's three Michael Keaton movies coming out in the next month. Want to check TV them out? Show. And they all look good. Right. Like, there's that one worth about, like, the opioid crisis. He looks fucking solid in it. Yeah. He's in uh, that movie Protégé. That's right. Which kind of looks like... Wait, it was, so is that that's a movie or a TV? I thought that was Protégé, I, I think... I, don't get, I can never fucking tell anymore, okay. but I'm pretty sure Protégé, just given the fact that it's Samuel L. Jackson, and I don't think he do right, TV right, right. shows, that's a movie. Okay. And then there's another one that I saw where he's also just kind of like a good guy, just doing some good stuff. And then we know that he's got the Flash movie coming up, too. It's right. just like it's it, it, it's the fucking I think he's setting the, up his it's retirement. It's the Keaton like he, it's the He's setting up his retirement with I think they're going to go full blown into Batman Beyond. I mean, I hope so, dude. I'm into it. Be, I can easily see that being a five, five, five to ten year Joker. That would be brilliant. Yeah, Matt Hatter. He should have always played the Mad oh, Hatter, man. should have always played the Mad Hatter. Always oh, my God, yes. Makes no sense that that was oh. never even a thought. Wow. I know. I know. Oh, my I God. mean, we do know for a fact that the Batman from Matt Reeves, the mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson one, which will most likely fuck really hard, has a... I'm sorry, what? It will fuck very, very hard. It will fuck. It will slap. It will rip. Okay. Um... <laughs> We do know that there is a pitched scene, theoretically, that takes place at Arkham Asylum or some version of Arkham Asylum where you're going to get like you're going to get a rogues gallery of like A and B list actors, known actors portraying villains, very big rogues gallery villains, Uh. you know, in there. You know, you probably won't get your two faces and your Riddlers and stuff like that. But you're going to, like, oh, Riddler's already in it. Um, right. But you're going to get, like, your kind of, like, 
lowered your your Mad Hatters, your Killer Crocs, yeah. your, your, your you know your your, your Zazzes and your mm-hmm. Calendar Mans and stuff like that. Like I'm fairly certain Clay, that Matt Damon Matt Damon is playing either Clayface Ooh. or Calendar Man. And it's like you're going to get like a little bit of interaction and stuff like that. So I'm very excited about it. And Martin Short as Matt Hatter. He, he's confirmed? For no, 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 not at all. Oh, but okay. that, that is like, you know, that, imagine that you don't know for him. and you're watching the movie. Right. You're in it 35 minutes. The Arkham Asylum scene starts. You see Matt Damon as Calendar Man. You know, you see, you know, uh, John Cena or whatever as Killer Croc, even though he's in Suicide Squad, but they're not connected to who knows. Like you see a couple and then you get... Mad Hatter, they say Mad Hatter's real name, which I can't remember off the top of my head, and it makes me kind of embarrassed that I can't, but it's early and I'm tired and I'm drinking. Um, <laughs> and and it, it cuts to Martin Short. Brilliant. Perfect you casting. Know, in, like, he doesn't have his hat or anything like that. He's in like you know a straight jacket and stuff inside a cell, and he's just talking in his little fairy tale rhymes. Yeah. And everybody knows that I do the best crimes. and It'd be great. It'd be fantastic. Did you just come up with that? I did. That's I come up with things. Pretty good. Pretty much every time I talk. Pretty, pretty good. Thank you. Um, back to Clifford. Back to Clifford. Uh, this this movie was brilliant. Um, and the boy, the boy that's at the beginning at the end, Ben Savage. Mm-hmm. Uh, best known for Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World. Not Wonder Years. Not Wonder Years. No, no, no. Not to be confused. No, 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 no. But Boy Meets World. And looks super fucking goofy when he's so young. He's too young. He's too young. Yeah. A little tight. Hair is too big for that head. <laughs> uh, that's another big name I just wanted to mention. And then Mar- Mary Steenburgen. I mean, of course. America's sweetheart. Back to the Future Part 3. Back to the Future Part 3. She uh, had actually the parenthood. She did a bunch of little dude, things. Dude, she's all over the place. In like the late 80s, early 90s. Be- but before, before Parenthood, before Back to the Future, she did a bunch of little things mm-hmm. and led up to Parenthood, Back to the Future, and then she did Clifford. Which I wonder why she chose to do it. I'm grateful that she chose to do it because I can't imagine anybody else playing Miss Sarah Davis. No, she's got a warmth and a yeah. and like she's so accepting and trusting, but also revealed to be like she's locked in on some stuff. Oh like yeah, she's like no 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 no, which is why I'm kind of upset that you know she never finds out. That Clifford is a psychopath. But I think she knows that he's a psychopath. Okay. But I think her need to get married, have a child, and to prove to Charles Grodin's character mm-hmm. that she that he's in the wrong for his behavior towards children or his his uh lack of emotion towards children. Or is it maybe like Magnifies she's so used her, to like her purity. His insanity. Maybe. To Martin's insanity that she's like no, 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 I can't like because like this is what a kid of yours would act like. Right. Because you're fucking insane. Like, so like <laughs> I'm up to the challenge on this. That's a fun take. Yeah. I mean, her first introduction to Clifford is in the shower. In yeah. the shower with the dinosaur in the shower. Martin. <laughs> you scared me. Why would you do that? Stefan. Stefan was in the shower. Stefan. The name of the I dinosaur. used to uh destroy my brain trying to remember the name of Clifford's dinosaur. Like when it had been a while since I'd seen the movie, and I'm like, "What the fuck was the name of that dinosaur?" <laughs> and Stefan would never be; it would never come. It would never be in the top cl- ten. It would never come close. Like, no. oh, that's what it is. Yeah, because it's not it's not like it's Stefan or Steve. It's no, Stephen. it's just Stefan. Very, very easy to forget. Very easy to forget. Um, I love, I love Clifford's uh, <laughs> explanation to his father in the airplane of why it just troubles me. It, why wouldn't? We go to Dinosaur World when it's my birthday. 
And then the father goes, your birthday was six months ago. Yeah. And he's got that walk and he was like, wait, where did you get that? Where did you get that walk? <laughs> a kindly old priest gave it to me. You're lying. You're lying to your father. <laughs> God, would you heard this? Never heard. Like, it's it's like super quotable. Uh, it's so funny. So funny. Um, there's like a rhythm, a rhythm and like, you know, a musicality right. to all of the deliveries of all of these things, you know, even like the look at me, you can't do it, can you? Not even for a minute. Look at me like a person. <laughs> you can't do it, can you? Look at me like a human boy. You know, it, it kind of just like da 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 da. Like it, it, it sings and it plays, and it's so much fun. And Martin Short also does it with Clifford, where he's just like in these these things that he does, like with the video, like the recording thing is like so much fun, where he's just like Stefan. Do you like Uncle Martin? <laughs> so do I. Click, you know, like, this is Martin. Blah, blah, blah. Click, doop, I've got a bomb. Click. And then, like, he gets that weird yeah. little cross-eyed look that's, like, super creepy. But it's so interesting you said that, that all the dialogue is is like a rhythm. And it's, but then it, it all complements Martin Short's acting towards all the, you know, it's like, to him, it's like everybody's dialogue is like a, like a, like a symphony. And he's dancing to it. He's performing it. Yes. It's brilliant. It's good. Uh, like, I mean, I think that that's something that maybe we've been leaning into a little bit, but haven't said outright. Like, Martin Short as Clifford is a very good performance. Very good performance. And I think that it's hindered by if you're not buying in that this is a ten year old, right? You're gonna, you're gonna not have a good time. It's the yeah. same thing with like Gollum in the Two Towers, where some I don't know if you remember this. Some people, a lot of people had a real hard time with Two Towers because they were getting Jar Jar Binks vibes off of Gollum. Because what? they were and because they were unable to disconnect the that that is voice? a cartoon. Uh-huh. And like the and it's a it's a highly characterized character and stuff like that. They were unable to disconnect that right. like this is just fucking, you know, Two Towers came out in 2002. It was only three years removed. From Jar Jar Binks. Right. Uh, the other, like, I think that, you know, uh, episode two had just come out earlier that year and Jar Jar's in it for a little bit and everyone's like, God fucking damn it. And like people like, I feel like people forget. I know we still bag on Jar Jar Binks a lot and I think that he's aged well enough. But back then, man. I'm going to disagree on that. Like the CGI element of characters, like they almost didn't do Gollum as CGI because they were nervous of the Jar Jar Binks flash, like clap, clap but back. Gollum CGI was better than. 100%. I think it was Jar people Jar were just like, I can tell that that's not a person. Yeah. I know that it's a cartoon. And they just weren't taking that kind of shit seriously. And for the rest of the world, besides that kind of microcosm of people that were complaining about it, Gollum, that's why Andy Serkis is to this day one of like the big mocap people. Right. Because he was able to transcend it and push it into this thing where you're like, he's acting. Yes. That's why he's so good in the Apes movies. And that's why like, you know, his protégés like Toby Cabell and stuff like that are all like T Terry Notary. Like that's why these guys are so fucking good and work in everything that's got mocap because like they're the go-to ones. Yeah. They've cracked how to be able to do the physicality and to some degrees the voices and stuff. And it's it's this thing where it's like when you're watching this movie, if you're not acceptant, accepting of the fact that this is a 10-year-old, right. a lot of the humor and the things that are impressive and entertaining about it are going to be completely lost on you because that's the movie. That's the whole pitch of the movie before everything else that's great about it. Yeah. Martin Short plays a 10-year-old. You have to buy that, and I feel like I, a lot of people don't. That, I don't think that that's such a 
hard jump just Me because neither. of his acting alone. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he he's doing a normal role where he's pretending to be a ten year old. He's very much a character on its on its own. That's that is absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's maniacal. He's he does things that a that a child would do, but then amplifies it for the the cause of comedy. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't think that that jump is that hard to do if you just let go. I think it's like it's like a uh, it's a taste thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just kind of like right. Something freaks you out about like it's like the uncanny valley kind of thing. Like you see it and you know that it's not real. You're right. Like that's not a ten year old. That's an adult. And like in your brain, even though you're like it's a movie, that's the whole bit. It's a comedy. Get with it. Your brain is just kind of like. That's an adult. Right. You know, and you need some of that there so that when like when Charles Grodin is like snapping his neck, you're not like, oh, fuck, like he's grabbing that kid. I hope that kid's OK. Yeah. But you need to kind of like that's the darkly <laughs> funny thing about it is like, OK, it's like the horror movie aspect where you're just like you watch all these people get brutally killed and it should make you squeamish and like scared. And to some degree it does. But you're also you know, it's not real. It's the release it's like that's the darkness of horror movies and that's the darkness in dark comedies. And I feel like that's a thing that some people just don't seem to like be lining up with, especially major critics of the time like Roger Ebert when it came out because they were just like, what the fuck is this? This thing's <laughs> fucking weird. This, uh, this, movie, this movie is weird, but it's great. Um, the, the model that, uh, that Uncle uh, – that Clifford's uncle is building, right? He's trying to do the – the train system in Los Angeles, right? Mm-hmm. And he finally shows up in front of the press and he's about to speak, but the whole model blows up. Mm-hmm. Do you what is your explanation of the explosion? It is is it okay. is it that Clifford went to the studio and put dynamite? Or is it that he Somehow he <laughs> like, met, he met. We see typed up so, the the disc. It's a bit of a stretch, but all of the information is presented in the movie. We see him earlier messing with the computer system right. and fucking with the uh, the boss's face and everything at the company. So we yeah. know that he understands computers, which right. is very scary. <laughs> um, so we know that he knows how to fuck around with computer stuff. I think the idea is that, and this is where the stretch part hits. Uh, you know, he messed with the computer. The, the computer block and hit it in the room because he knew that Martin would look for it in the room. Right. Because that's where he was locked up. Right. Because he didn't leave. Um, and it's designed and it was like and he reprogrammed it to instead of do the show that's supposed to happen. Yeah. That he just programmed into it. It's supposed to like over wire everything because electricity is running through right. this thing. And that's that's the stretch part is like that leads to an explosion. An explosion, right. Right. All the all the pieces are in play yeah. leading up to that. It's like, well, we've been shown that he knows how to do something like that. Right. And we've been shown the opportunity that you would have to reprogram it and the fact that it was in his possession. So now the only jump of reality that you have to do is that <laughs> electricity does that. It blows. It's like the classic uh, '80s TV show. If a car flips, it blows up. Exactly, which makes no sense. It's fine, <laughs> um, but it also sets up. I wonder if it also set up the joke at the end when they're at the theme park, uh, Dinosaur World, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Charles Grodin says he pauses when when Clifford says "Save me," and he says. 
I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing humanity a favor, right? Yeah. When you're, and he, that's one of the last ones, last times where he mimics Clifford of saying, oh, look, I created a, a nuclear bomb. Yep. Right. And okay. I, I made the best, biggest bomb in the whole wide world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. That, that whole, um, I was impressed with the set at the end for Dinosaur World. It's insane. It's, uh, it's a little much. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, okay, sure. But uh, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's it turns into a completely different movie for about 10 minutes, which oh, I'm yeah. kind of into. Totally. Um, looks like a ride I'd love to go on. Terry the Pterodactyl looks fucking great. Uh, he's one of my best friends. He seems like a cool guy, uh, helpful, and he's worried about Clifford. Uh, the laser gun is funny. The laser gun is funny. I didn't expect that. It looks that. like a cool ride. It looks like a cool ride. Yeah. But it looks like a, like a massive ride. I mean, that, you know that first take me? on the roller coaster and you see yeah. the volcano and, and the whole I'm pit. The oh, my God. You know what's always gotten me that drives me fucking crazy is that we never find out what the end word in the Larry the Scary Rex song is. Yes. Because you hear, I'm Larry the Scary Rex... I'm a scary dinosaur, but don't be scared of my sharp, sharp teeth or my mighty, mighty roar. You hear that first, and then right. you get a little bit more in the car where it's like, I love kids and kids love me, even though. And then he and says, then he gets shut cut up. Off, and then at the end, you're hearing the song as he's coming out, and he says, uh, I love kids and kids love me, even though my toes are, and he gets cut off. <laughs> and I rack my brain <laughs> until the age of 35. What rhymes <laughs> with me or loves me right. that toes can be that makes sense in the context of who Larry the Scary Rex is, and I can't fucking figure it I out. I think it's one of those things where the that, writers like a, probably didn't figure out. It's a and lie awake it, at night kind yeah. of thing. It happened last yeah. night because watching it last night just fucking brought this all back up to the surface, and I get into bed <laughs> with my loving partner and my new kitten, Freddie, who's fantastic, and I'm just staring at the ceiling, thinking about all the things that I got to do tomorrow, today, and just like, what the fuck is that? Because <laughs> it's like a maximum of two syllables. Yeah. Like, even though my toes are da da, you can get away with. Or you could do, even though my toes are da, it could yeah. be one syllable or two syllables. I don't know if you'd get away with, even though my toes are da da da, I guess you kind of could. You could. But, like, that's the max. You're looking yeah. at a one, two, three-syllable thing, and that just makes the options so hard. Right. I don't fucking know. I feel like maybe the writers Harry? did it on purpose. His toes aren't hairy. That doesn't right. make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's like the joke in, um, what's that Pierce Brosnan movie with Greg Kinnear? The Pierce Brosnan movie with Greg Kinnear. The, the Ma Matador. The Matador. The Matador. Yes. Where he has that joke. And he never delivers the punchline. Yes, we were talking about this a couple months That's ago. That's exactly yeah. the yeah. same shit. I know. But it drives you crazy. It drives you crazy. What else you got here on your notes? I think uh, I think that might be it. My oh, oh, the whole uh, the anniversary party. Oh, God. The anniversary party. The Sarah, Sarah Davis's, Miss Sarah Davis's. Miss Sarah Davis. Parents. Uh, anniversary party. They're celebrating the 35th, which... In retrospect, you don't think it's a huge thing. You think like tens, right? You, that's yeah, that's yeah, the bit. Yeah, that's the bit. Yeah. Also, um, uh, Sarah Davis's dad, not a cool guy. Kind Wouldn't of want to hang out with him, right? No, nope. but the mom is a sweetheart. Mom's a sweetheart. Yeah. Would hang out with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uncle Martin gets arrested because of the whole bomb threat. Yep. 
right? Which I love the cops' reaction, <laughs> where they're just like, "You've got the wrong man." We don't think so. <laughs> and they leave, and I'm like, All right. And then the, that leads to that great bit that does not belong in this movie, but they let Charles Grodin just do his thing with the light. Yes, yes. And they're like, running me under these lights, and they turn down. I was like, "Well, now I can't see anything." Turns it up a little bit. And he's like. How's that? Let's not make this about lights. Like it's, it's just a very Grodin yes. joke. Totally. Um, there's that scene right before he gets arrested where he drags uh, Clifford into the kitchen. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's got the baguettes. He's got the baguettes beating him, and then Sarah Davis comes into the kitchen, and they both pretend. Look at the ball. They both pretend. Yeah, because both are like on his side. He knows, like, (laughs) if this devolves too much, then I lose Sarah Davis. I lose Sarah Davis, but I also like, you know, things will fall apart. I need to keep Sarah Davis in the picture. Yes, because that's why I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, it's wild. So for those of you that haven't seen it, 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 Charles Grodin, Uncle Martin is chasing Clifford around the island in the kitchen, beating him with a French baguette. (laughs) And Sarah Davis walks in and they both immediately go into uh, teaching him how to play, teaching Clifford how to play baseball. Yeah. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Mm -hmm. He takes a couple of swings, hits, hits Clifford's. um, He has a bucket on his hand. Really? A little too hard. A little too hard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's good stuff. That's great stuff. And I mean, the great, I love like, you know, um, you know, where he's just like, and like later, like all the things he calls Uncle Martin, where he's just like, Uncle Tim must want it. <laughs> and I'm like, how long do you think you'll get? And he's um, like, oh, question for you. When, when Miss, when Miss Sarah Davis and her boss like get married, do you think that they'll name their first child Martin? Like, it's just, like he's just like poking at him. Like, he wants to die. Yeah. I think he wants to die. Well, it's, it's, it's exactly what, well, I wouldn't say exactly what a child would, but that is the same reaction yeah. what a child would do. Where when you're butting heads with them, it's an intelligent child who understands like, oh, this will really cut you, right? Like they just say right. things without thinking about because it because they and want it hurts that attention, feelings because they want attention, right? But this is like, what if a child had like the methodology in their head, yeah, to be able to go to like size you up and go, he's not going to like it if I say this, yeah, and then they do, and it's a ten year old, so he can't do anything, right? Because his parents. Never truly had control over him or some sort of understanding of him mm-hmm. that they that they didn't calmly talk to him. I feel like his parents always were yelling. <laughs> Is there no nag- end to your madness? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> He's just like about to explode in there. Richard Kind. <laughs> well, Theodora. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> like, Theodora. <laughs> Richard Kine, his comedic talents uh, amazing. are amazing. He's been great on uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver recently, yeah. uh, playing uh, Richard Speckler, Spackler, whatever the fuck that <laughs> dumb opioid family's name is. Uh, he's so fucking good. He's so I good. don't know. He's great. He's fantastic. I mean, right after this, he was on Mad About You. And then after that, yeah. Spin City. Like, yep. this really I mean, was he's, his... he's an anchor. Like, he yeah. just, he hits shit and he knows what to hit. And he's got, like... He's got versatility. He can be like super, super wacky, but he can also be like kind of like that grump right. kind of thing. And when he puts them together, it's extremely funny. And and the ca- the casting of him as the father makes total sense against the mom that's supposed to be this like half in, half out. Oh, alcoholic. she's just all over it. Yeah, she's done. Yeah. She's drinking her brains away because of, of Clifford. Like <laughs> um, but that's all I got to say. 
Unless you can think of anything. I mean, man, we just had a fun time. Yeah, it's great. About this movie, we're 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 hitting like about the hour mark. So yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, I mean, to, good movie. To quote Clifford, uh, mission accomplished, old friend. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, I'm, I'm into that. That's nice. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, it's really good if you're listening on the Apple, of all things, too. Five-star review goes a long, long way for us and our availability to everybody. We are consistently, constantly growing and getting better and better, uh, both in our listenership, our community, and um, the content that we're putting out. we got some big changes coming up, too. We're making some more improvements as we go. Um, so, uh, remember to check that out. Go to storyscreenbeacon.com, uh, for a bunch of other fun movie stuff. We've got articles, reviews, more podcasts, videos, really cool stuff. And also all the information for Story Screen Beacon Theater and Story Screen Drive-In in the area that you're here. And also Wonder Bar, man. So you can do all of that stuff. And, um, big thanks to Von Holt for our opening theme, opening and closing themes. And a big shout out to Sun Common, who is uh, one of our major uh, advertisers nice. um, this uh, this month. Uh, they are fantastic and very good. And uh, you should definitely check them out at suncommon.com. And other than that, Yar- Yarko? Uh, I just want to dedicate this to a good bartender friend of mine, Joe Walsh. This is one of his favorite movies. Ooh. Joe Walsh, this one's for you. <laughs> Have you ever seen Virtuosity? Yes. With Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe? Yes. Where he says, hey, Parker, <laughs> this one's for you. I made Diana watch that the other day, and she didn't like it. And I think it's created a rift. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We've watched Who Gets the Cat? I asked her if she wanted to watch this movie with me last night because I got <laughs> home at like 930 and I was like, it's an hour and a half. We could watch it and you can go to bed. And she's like, great sell. No, I'm not fucking watching that. And actually, of all things, we actually watched, because uh, she's tired. Uh, she's been working a hell of a lot lately. She's a fucking soldier. Um, so we actually just watched uh, the latest um, last week tonight with John Oliver. And of all things, Richard Kind, Richard kind. came back wow. for that episode wow. uh, as like that ongoing character he's playing. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, fuck, that's crazy. That's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, then I watched it by myself with my new kitten, Freddie. Um, she fell asleep. Yeah, she's very small, very tired all the time. Tired, so she can't really, she can't really get into like you know the the bravado of yes. Charles Grodin and, and Martin Short. One day I'll share it with her when she's old enough. But no, we watched uh, Virtuosity a couple months ago, and Diana was like, "That's pushing it, man. Don't fucking do shit like that." And I was like, "Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding." Like, she was just like, "That was one of your favorite movies growing up." And I was like, "Yeah, man." Um, so that's it. Thank you guys again for listening. Yarko, thank you so much for joining me again. You're thank welcome you back anytime. Asking me to come back. We'll take a break uh, with a bunch of other people for a little bit first, and then we'll uh, we'll keep in touch. And uh, I know you're you're moving down to the city pretty soon, possibly, yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, but even if that does happen, we can always you know satellite zoom visit that kind of stuff because uh, I think you're an absolute blast. I love to, to do it again. Show, so. I love I love doing it. Good, I love good, your good. podcast. You bring notes and everything. You give out half the information that I've stored in my head, and I'm like, good, I talk less. That's great. Perfect. Uh, All right, so um, thank you guys again for listening one last time, and we will catch you next time.